Thank you, worship team. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is on page 403 of your pew Bible. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay. We're going to be reading this, the story of David and Goliath, in three sections, starting from verse 1 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socha in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdamim between Socha and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the rank of his, ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. We'll be jumping down to verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were, get, were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the other men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, 
and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Moving forward to verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with a shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. This is the word of the Lord written for his people. Thank you. Good morning. This week we are returning to study the book of 1 Samuel. So before we get into the word of God, we need to do this. That's very challenging, right? This is one of the battles. <laughs> this is one of the first battles pastors face, yeah? <laughs> All right, let's go on this. First Samuel chapter 7, 2b through 4. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Not to the Lord. Right? Yeah, okay. So Samuel said... Then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and asterisks and commit yourselves unto the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So all the Israelites... You did a great job. <laughs> but today we're going to look at a battle event which took place 3,000 years ago. In the valley of Elah, which is situated halfway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv in today's Israel. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on chapter 9, 10, and 11. And uh, 
explain to you how God chose an unsuccessful, insignificant, unsmart, and coward young man named Saul and filled him with his spirit and turned him into a powerful king of Israel. After about 14 years of being a great king, we see in chapter 13 that he fails to seek the favor of God and falls from God's grace. And God was upset with him and God tells him that his kingdom would not endure anymore and that he found a man after God's own heart. And again, after about another 14 years passed by, God puts Saul to test. The test was found in chapter 15 of the book of 1 Samuel, where we see God wants to settle an old account with Amalekites who stood in the way of Israelites when they were coming out of Egypt. And so God tells to Saul, go against Amalekites and wipe them out and everything that belongs to them. So Saul goes into battle against Amalekites as God instructed uh, and then he wins the battle but badly fails in God's test because he did not fully obey God. Saul also takes God's glory for the victory and he sets up a monument in his own honor. You know in the scripture that God does not share his glory with anyone. But now Saul takes glory in his own honor. And he sets up a monument there. And then God was very much angry at this time. And he removes the spirit from Saul. And an evil spirit began to attack him. And he gradually became a psychopath. Now coming to the text that we have read in chapter 17, the Philistines challenged Israel once again. Okay, it's right here. Let me... Israel was challenged once again. I think the reason Philistines were trying to attack Israel once again here because they have learned that the Spirit of God left Saul and that he was out of mind most of the times. You understand, sometimes Satan attacks us when he sees that we are not staying in the power of God. Now taking advantage of Saul's circumstances, the Philistines wanted not just to attack Israel, but wanted to occupy the highland that belongs to Israel in Bethlehem. So they were slowly moving eastward along the floor of the valley of Elah into the highland to occupy the mountain ridge near Bethlehem and split the kingdom of Israel into two. So now Saul heard about it and he wants to confront this battle. So he goes down there and let me see he goes down here onto that area to prevent these people from crossing the valley of Elah and take away their land well they were actually deadlocked in both the areas because to attack meant descending the hill and making a suicidal climb up the enemy's ridge on the other side because they will be exposed to the other enemy. So finally, to break 
the deadlock, Philistines send one of their giants to the valley floor to challenge them. By the way, Philistines had three kinds of armies. The first one was cavalry, which is a horse regiment, and the second one is heavy infantry, which is uh, foot soldiers with swords and spears, and third, third one is artillery. Artillery is uh, archery or single combat battle. But Israel does not have any of these things, and I'm going to talk about it very shortly. And now, here comes a giant, and I was looking at the description that was given in the Bible. He was over nine feet tall. Okay, I was measuring this. <laughs> you know what? After I made this, I was afraid of the height. And you know what? Sometimes you tend to think about me how short I am. Just focus on him for a second. <laughs> and when my, my son saw this, he said, Daddy, monster! And then he runs away from it. So this is like so scary, right? Nine feet tall. Can you imagine this one? So this guy comes and calls Israelites here. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If, I, if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. If, he, if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of the living God, armies of Israel. Give me a man, let's fight. So he was challenging not just one day, 40 days morning and evening. That's what the scripture tells. And now he's like so strong that, you know, he had this outfit of, uh, um, you know, bronze coat which weighed 127 pounds. And he had bronze greaves on his legs, which must have weighed about 15 pounds. And he had javelin, sword, and spear that uh, have weighed more than 18 pounds. If you put all of that together, it is more than the weight of uh, King David. I mean, David. Well, he comes and shouts, everybody was scared to death. And nobody is dared to go and face Goliath until David showed up. He's an unexpected visitor. He was not a, a warrior at all in this battle. All that he does was he carries food from his father to his three brothers who are part of Saul's army. And David's business was to bring the food and drop it with uh, uh, his brothers and go back to his father and report him about their welfare. But God had a different purpose in his field trip. So he comes here with food and everybody thought, oh, you're done with, go back. But now he not only brought food to the battleground, but he also brought God to the battlefield. 
That's why I have titled my sermon today, Fighting Battles Theocentrically, which means God-focused battle, God-centered battle that we need to fight. So we're going to, less, we're going to learn at least four lessons from this historic event. First one is, face your fears theocentrically. Means focusing on God, you can face any problem in your life. Now let's look at uh, verse 11, where Philistine called all these people and challenged them to fight with him. And now on hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And verse 24, it says, Whenever they saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the author is trying to use the strongest words possible to express the freaking situation the king and his followers were going through in this battlefield. According to a dictionary, the, the word dismay means a sudden and complete loss of courage or disabling terror. Maybe we can say getting fainted when you see something, right? Terrify means being thrown into a state of intense fear or desperation. You know, Saul had been a powerful king for a long time. And in chapter 14, we see that he delivered Israelites from the hand of his enemies on every side. He fought against Moabites successfully. He went against Ammonites. He went against Edomites. He fought with Amalekites. And the Philistines, he actually defeated several times. But what happened to Saul now? Now he is actually dancing back and forth when he saw a big man standing in front of him. Well, the enemies of Israel often fought in the battles in the strength of their army, in the strength of their energy, in the strength of their weapons. But Israel never fought the battles in the strength of their weapons, in the strength of their army. They have never done that. You know, in chapter 13, we see that in the whole land of Israel, there is not even a one blacksmith who could make a sword or a spear for these people. Can you imagine you going into the battlefield with your agricultural tools and kitchen tools to fight against powerful people who have nuclear weapons? Can you do that? That's what Israelites have done most of the times. They took, you know, axes, mattocks, sickles they took, all these rusted ones. And they didn't even know how to sharpen them. They had to go to their enemies and pay money and sharpen their tools, go against the enemies. That is the condition of Israelites. Was it, was it bad? Were they like idiots? No, they were not. It was so intentional of God. God does not want them to make swords or spears because God wants to fight the battles for them. Because he knows that they are his people and he doesn't want them to depend on the swords or the energy of the armies, but rather depend on the one who has called them my children and I will deliver you from the hand of your enemies. 
That was the assurance that God was giving to the people of Israel from the very beginning. But now Saul has forgotten the power of God that he had experienced previously and now there is no spirit of God that could even trigger anything in his body, in his spirit. And now he cannot even stand boldly in the battlefield with God's power anymore because his pride covered him completely. Because of his disobedience, he cannot stand in front of enemy with the power of God. But here comes David who watches the whole episode. We have heard in the scripture reading that he heard the war cry. And he dropped the food, the parcel that he came with, and he ran to the battlefield, and he asked, what's happening here? And then one of the soldiers tells, look at this Goliath who is coming and scaring all of us. All we are doing is running away back and forth from him. And I was wondering why David, not, David did not feel the intensity of fear they were going through. And he saw their freaking hopelessness, despair, and he felt he doesn't want to go back quickly leaving the food, but he wants to help them. And when someone tells him, look at Goliath, how he's challenging, and his answer is found in verse 26. Okay, verse 26 he, he tells it with the high tone. He calls, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is actually found in verse 26. Where is God from verse 1st until 25? There is no God mentioned in the whole story beginning until now. That means for 40 days, there was no word God used in the whole battle of Israel. Until David brings God to the floor. David breaks his silence and then he tells, hey, we need to surround this event with God and with the power of God. And he tells these people, you are the armies of the living God. But they had been hearing for 40 days, morning and evening, that they are the ranks of Saul. And they are the servants of Saul. Now he reverses that, hey, your identity is not in a man or a king, but your identity is in the true king who fights battle for you. Think about his theocentric thinking as soon as he saw the problem. How many of us have that theocentric thinking when we when we face some problem in us. We quickly go to a counselor, we quickly go to a doctor, or we quickly go to uh, someone who can help us with uh, optimism or um, you know, whatever, you name it. In fact, David was challenging them with the deep thought implying no one can defy the armies of the living God. In other words, he tells, no power can stand against the living God. And he reminds them their identity 
in God. So that is the one that has changed the whole situation of Israelites when they were in battle. You know what? Nearly half a million of Americans are taken to the hospitals every year because of suicide attempts. Most of them, if not all of them, are connected to some sort of fear. Fear of failure, fear of losing reputation, fear of losing identity, fear of losing wealth, fear of survival, fear of uh, losing happiness, fear of losing job, fear of losing spouse, fear of losing what? You add it. You know, Robin Williams, right? One of the best comedians U.S. has ever known. He committed suicide in 2014 because he had an illusionary fear of being unhappy in life. Just fear. Well, it is not just ungodly people who live in fear. Many of God's children live in some sort of fear every day because they do not experience the power of God or they fail to acknowledge the power of God when they were going through the problems. So fear is the evidence of lack of dependence on God. When we don't see the power of God in our lives, there is nothing wrong with God. God has not changed his mind with his people because he is same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem lies with us when we don't see the power of God. So we have to straighten our lives. We cannot do anything unto God. When we forget who we are, when we lose our identity as God's children, that is, where, that is when Satan comes. That is when Satan tries to sneak into your territory and take away your joy, confidence, and hope. That's what happened to Saul and his army right here in this battle. So we need to remind ourselves that we are the children of the living God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and that we are not given the spirit of timidity, but of what? Say it louder if conf confidently. Say it with conviction. The other reason we suppose not to live in fear because the Lord has promised his presence with us, Emmanuel. You know that? And even when Jesus was ascending to heaven, he told his disciples, I will be with you until the ends of the age. And he said, I'm going to give you another bonus. That is Holy Spirit. Just go and wait there. When he comes over you, you're going to be filled with dunamos, the power inside you. And he will give you courage to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter parts of the world, uttermost parts of the world. Well, the second lesson we get from this story is face your criticism theosophically, means using God's wisdom. In the battle story, David had to deal with a challenging criticism from his own brother for whom David had brought food to the battle. Look at verse 28, how 
Eliab, his brother, criticizes David. He says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. I believe this could have been a tough time for David because he couldn't digest those lies particularly because these words are coming to him from his own brother who witnessed the anointing of David, who has seen the descending of the Spirit, upon, Spirit of God upon him, and who has seen or heard the miracles that David must have shared with him about lion and the bear that he killed in the wilderness. But Eliab, who was filled with jealousy and envy, criticizes David and accuses him of ill motives, which were not true. Now look at David's simplest response to his brother in verse 29. It says, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? That's all he said. He didn't respond to the actual criticism. The actual reaction to the criticism is found in verse 30, which is, David turned away from him. That is the reaction. Just turned away from him. What a wise thing he has done. I call it the wisdom of God. He did not defend himself or react to his brother's accusations. So he just ignored the criticism and moved forward because he knew Eliab was saying lies. Well, we all love appreciation and hate criticism. At times even criticism cripples our lives and affects our vision, call, and even our own abilities to act promptly on the will of God, especially when it comes from the people who know us well, especially from the people uh, who serve together with us, maybe from our own small group, maybe from our family members who know our strengths and weaknesses, or maybe from workplace where we pour out our energy for the benefit of that company. David did not compromise with his brother's lie, nor he went back crying, weeping, oh, this is what I was treated with. The good lesson here for us is, we do not have to attack the critics or respond too much to their criticism. We do not have to defend our position or compromise with lies. And even criticism should not stop us from achieving what God calls us to do or hinder us from reaching our goals or losing our passion or diverting our vision. So endure criticism and move away from criticism politely. And the third one is deal with pessimism theoptically. You know, opticals, glasses, right? Theo means God. So using God's eyes, you can avoid pessimism. After overcoming criticism, David goes one step further and makes a heroic statement before Saul, which is found in verse 32. He tells, let no one lose heart on the account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. I was thinking um, at least uh, Israelites had uh, rusted sickles and tools in their hands, but uh, David did not have anything in his hand. All he had was a casual staff and a sling in his hand. And now when Saul heard David uh, giving this uh, uh, great opportunity to go uh, into the battle, uh, while the rest of the people who were afraid for 40 days, and he tells him, you cannot go, you are just a small boy. In verse 33, he tells him, you are just a small boy, you cannot go and fight. He has been a warrior from youth. 
Saul compares David with Goliath in terms of his war abilities and try to convince him that he cannot do it. Saul admires David's courage, but out of pity, he discourages him because he knew how, he, how it feels like running away from giant for a long time. And David did not give a second thought to Saul's analysis of David's war abilities. Look at what David said in uh, verse 34 and 36. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion and a bear came and carried off sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. You know, David uses at least nine times the name of God. And verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Here David is sharing his testimony with Saul. And Saul had several testimonies, but he took all the glory, right, on himself. And now David does not see Goliath the same way Saul is looking at Goliath. He sees from God's perspective, God's eyes. And he thought, this man is just an animal who can be conquered. Do we have that confidence in God that we can conquer our enemies in life? Can we say confidently like Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Can we? Where is the confidence? Why are we not confident in the power which is available? It's like having a huge bank account with a million dollars and still live like a poor. Why can't we take the energy that is freely available for us? And Jesus Christ has taken that and given to us. And even he died for us. And some of you, yo, this is what I was, it was like, you know, this is how uh, David was, Saul was trying to put uh, uh, his armor on David. You know, the, my son was kind of putting shoes when he was three and he couldn't put uh, 10 steps forward. That's what I was. Anyway, well, we know the story of William Carey and he was a shoemaker and a part-time uh, uh, pastor of a small Baptist church um, in England. Uh, during those days, hyper-Calvinist belief was prevalent in the Baptist churches that all men were not responsible to believe in the gospel. After reading the story of American missionary David Brainard, Carey was filled with passion to reach the world. So at a minister's meeting in 1787, he expressed passionately the need for world evangelization. 
one of the ministers stood up and he said to him, Hey, young man, sit down. If God wants to reach the world, he can do without you. That's what he said. But William Carey did not stop there or he did not go back crying because he knew the fire he had in his heart was not his but from the Lord. And in 1793, William Carey goes to India. And he pours out all his life like a drink offering for the sake of Jesus Christ. You know what he gave to India at the end of his life? He gave theological education and he gave Bible in 40 languages, 40 languages. He was expert. He was a shoemaker, but God turned him. You know what he gave to the world? He gave missionary passion. And today he is known as the father of modern missions because he eschewed pessimism theo-optically. So the lesson here is, do not underestimate what God can do with your limited energy, limited strength. And the final lesson that comes to us from this story is, fight your battle theodynamically. And verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. David said to Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. You look at the conference. I am like puffed up when I read this one. And... This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. You know, it's like a prophecy that he's prophesying against you and he does exactly the same, right? And the very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is God of Israel. What a powerful statement. And all those gathered here will know what, know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle belongs to the Lord. Can you imagine he's going before uh, death, death rope and preaching the gospel? Just talking about God so powerfully. We observe three things in this text. First thing, David confesses before his enemy that his courage and strength is in the Lord. How many times did you confess that your courage is in the Lord before your enemy? I'm not talking about physical enemy, your own innate enemies, anger, fear, discouragement, pessimism, whatnot, you name it. And the second lesson comes from this passage is David courageously declares that there is a true and living God in Israel. There is a God. And finally, he tells that it is God who fights battle for his people. You know, he takes this small stone from his pouch and makes it round and round, and he throws at the most vulnerable, vulnerable spot of David. And the stone goes and hits between two eyes of Goliath, and the scripture tells, the stone sank inside. 
You know what? The scholars estimate that the stone ran at the speed of 35 meters per second, which is faster than baseball if it was thrown by the finest bowler or a cricket ball. And when it is told that that sank between the eyes, it is the power of 0.45 millimeter pistol. Do you think David had this much strength? I don't think so. And even this whole story is not about Saul, David and Goliath, no, it is all about God. And Saul is a kind of a mimicking acting like that, but the voice is behind, the strength is behind. When he does like this, and God takes the stone and right away he puts right at the center there. And it is the power of God that killed David or knocked, sorry, uh, knocked Goliath down, not David. So, well, it was not certainly the energy of David. It was a theodynamic throw. That's what I call theodynamic throw. Therefore, fight your battles theodynamically so that you will not be disappointed. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we see that we are called to fight, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realm. What are our modern battles today? Fear? Security? Future? Success? Criticism? Pessimistic friends? Pride? Lust? What are the things that you are battling in life with? A few years ago, I heard a story from a godly woman in Kentucky who goes to sh shopping with great joy and comes back with sadness in her heart. So she didn't know why she goes joyfully and comes back. And she's not like other women who spend a lot of money on window shopping or spending a lot of money on the actual things. But she tells that she had no idea why she was fighting this battle for a long time until she knelt down and prayed, God, reveal me what is the battle I'm fighting with? Why am I coming out of the store so sad every time I enter? Then with the prayer, she goes to one of the stores and she collects her groceries and stands in line to pay the bill. That time, she stands and slowly her eyes move towards the magazine rack in front of her. You, always, you must have noticed so many magazine, magazine racks near the you know, bill counters, right? So her eyes went there. That was the time the Lord told, this is the battle that you're facing. This woman looks at uh, those uh, uh, cover pages about slim beauty, how to become rich how to look sexy and how to become successful in life and what not. And she wants to become like them and she can never become. She comes back sad and the Lord tells her to take off the eyes off these racks and these magazines. 
And we see in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 3, the author exhorts us, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Those are the magazines that easily entangle. You know, one of the uh, leaders of mine I worked with, this guy uh, is so godly, but we know that he looks at women so much, so we want to test him. So what we did was we threw a sexy magazine right in front of the door. Uh, you know, one day, and this guy secretly looks around, he takes the magazine and reads it, and he meditates on it. So that's how Satan tempts us. Let us throw off all these things. So we need to fight these battles in the strength of the Lord. Are we dealing with our inner battles theocentrically, theosophically, theoptically, and theodynamically? If not, you need to start today. I wanted worship team to come up and lead us in a song as we meditate on the word. And if some of you wanted to come forward uh, for a prayer, I would be glad to pray with you. And uh, let's think about how we can tackle our life problems, our modern problems of fear, anxiety, anger, envy, jealousy, selfishness. These are the battles that we find. They're giants and we can knock them down, not with the stone, but with the word of God and in the strength of the Lord.